Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. How's everybody doing today? Okay, so um, we have at the end of service today, do not run out because we're going to do um, one of my most favorite things in the whole wide world. We're going to baptize. And uh, Daniel, you ready? This At the end of service today, we're going to baptize. And um, Jesus, that was like, that's our first sign of obedience to walking with the Lord is baptism. And uh, not that we haven't obeyed in other areas before that, but that's what's happening. And so, anyway, um, there's so much more testimony that goes with that, but I'll let you share that some other time. Um, or if fear of public speaking is your thing, then you don't have to. Um, but uh, you guys need to talk to Daniel. He's, he's running towards Jesus, and we're going to run with him. Amen? All right. Okay. Um, Hang on, it's just a moment here. Okay. All right. Um, how many like dessert? Can I get some lights? Am I, or are you guys doing a thing? Do what you do. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. You do what you do. Um, I don't need lights. I got plenty. How many like dessert? How many like it when you have dessert first? That's a thing. Um, I remember one time being a little guy. And uh, going to the kitchen for breakfast, and my like three or four year old brother, I was, I'm about five years older than him. Um, he's like probably three or four years old. Coming to the kitchen, and this dude, he's scarfing out breakfast on some chocolate cake. Just going to town, just all over his face, everything, happy as can be. And I'm like, did you get the chocolate cake? He pointed, because I knew mom was still asleep, right? He points over to the living room. He goes, it was dad. dad. Dad gave me chocolate cake. For breakfast? For breakfast. So I walk in there like, dad? Can I have some chocolate cake? Sure, you can have some chocolate cake. My other brother comes there. There we are, the three of us. Me and my two brothers were sitting there eating chocolate cake for breakfast, which was wonderful. And my dad, I think he did it just because he loved, he always sang this song. Um, it was from a comedian or something. It went, dad is great. Give us the chocolate cake. Like all the time. He sang it all the time. And uh, that morning we had chocolate cake. And it was really, really, really fun. See, mom walked in the kitchen and then it wasn't so fun anymore. And uh, yeah, um, even still, like, like, especially, I mean, broccoli, broccoli's just awful. Yeah, all, the, all across the room. My mom used to put cheese on the broccoli, which broccoli's nasty. This is just a head. Then you put cheese on it, now you just have cheesy nasty and you've ruined a perfectly good cheese. Um, yeah, why don't you go to church and you're not going to believe what the pastor said about broccoli. Um, but, but it's healthy, right? 
it's healthy. When you're a kid, you don't want you don't want the broccoli, you don't want the lima beans, the Brussels sprouts, you don't want all the you want the dessert first. But how many know why don't we give people dessert first? Because then you won't eat your dinner, right? And there goes all your nutrition. Um, how many know we have a good father? He's a really good father. Um, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7. It says, like, when we ask for something from our father, he's only going to give us good things, right? If you ask him, it says, if you, you're evil, you ask your, your dad for a fish, he isn't going to give you a snake, if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a rock. He's going to give you what you need. You need to ask him. He's a good father. Say good father. Say good father. I'm also reminded in 1 Corinthians 7, it, it's funny because in this section of scripture, he's, Paul's actually talking about things that aren't actually sin, but things you might not want to do. It's not necessarily a sin. It's repeated in Romans 14. Some things aren't necessarily a sin, but maybe it's not for your benefit, so maybe you shouldn't do it. Right? And he's a good father. It's a question of, do you trust your good father? Do you trust God? We have this false view of God as this rule maker and that if we keep all the rules, God will let us go. to. And that's like, go ask someone, how do you get to heaven? Most people will tell you, here's how you go to heaven. Be a good person and God will let you into heaven. Right? You be a good person, God's going to let you in. That, that is not true. Ephesians 2.8 tells us, it is by faith that you're saved, not works. Nothing that you do. It's a gift of God. You can never be good enough to go to heaven. And so some people take that the opposite way. It's like, well, if I can't ever be good enough, I'm just going to trust the mercy and grace of God, and I'm just going to do whatever I want all the time. You can never be good enough it's not about you, it's about him. And in Galatians 3, 6, this is what I love. It says about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Now Abraham, if you don't know Abraham, Abraham was this rock star in the faith, right? He's the guy that like all of us should look to as this guy who, who did things right. But can I tell you something? He did things wrong sometimes. He messed up sometimes. He had this really hot wife and sometimes he would go before kings and the kings would be like, oh man, she's hot. And he's like, oh yeah, she's my sister. You can have her. Because he was afraid for his own life. Like if they found out that's my wife, they might kill me and take her. That's so messed up. He didn't do it once. He did it twice. That's messed up. Here's the guy who messed up. But you know what he did that was right? He believed God. He believed God and you know what the word righteous means? Righteous means right standing before God. Like righteous is when the judge looks at you and says, we're all good. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're in right standing with me, which is really nice. How many of you have ever owed money before on like a bill or something like that? 
And then um, I actually had it happen to me not long ago where someone walked up and be like, they go, dude, I've owed you some money. Here's some money. I just don't want there to be anything between us anymore. I just want it, I want to pay it off so that there's nothing between us. And now we're in right state. Like, I just need to feel that, cle- right? Anybody feel that way before? When you get that bill paid off, you're like, ah. Oh. And that's what God wants. He wants righteousness. He wants that right standing with us. But we think we can pay it off by being really, really good. You can't pay it off by being really, really, really good. Really, 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 really good. It's not that. There's only one way to be in right standing before God. It's to believe Him. Just to trust Him. It's really that simple. It's to trust not what you do, but what He did. So then it becomes not about anything about us. It comes completely about us trusting God. Go with me to James, the fifth chapter. And I'll say, if you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, go and pull that up. Um, because it, there's a lot of stuff there that I don't want to revisit here. Um, so go, go check that out after service. You can find it online um, in our Facebook page and all that. In Romans chapter, or not Romans, James, James chapter 5, in verse 7, it says this, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Everyone say, be patient. What? Already, some of you are like, I'm not going to enjoy this sermon at all. Because this is kind of what I'm talking about today. Patience. They did it, talking about dessert first, they actually did a study on toddlers where they would sit them in a room and put like a marshmallow in front of them and say, now look, if you can sit here and not touch that marshmallow, I'm going to leave and when I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow. And that's what they do. They, they leave the toddler, they sit the marshmallow, they leave, and some of the toddlers gobble it right up. Some of them were able to sit there and not touch the thing. They followed up 40 years later with, with some of these toddlers that were in that study. This is, this is a study from way back. Um, and come to find out, those, those toddlers that were able to sit there and not touch it, they like scored higher on aptitude tests and things like that it was like crazy study finding just because of self-control when they were a toddler and i'm like how do you teach self-control to a toddler like come on how many know that patience can be a hard thing i want my marshmallow and i want it now right that's true if i were writing the bible go ahead take what you want it says be patient, and that word in the Greek, it's to be long-suffering, to not lose heart, to persevere patiently and bravely. A lot of times it's translated long-suffering. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Long-suffering. Be patient. Be long-suffering. 
That doesn't sound fun at all. I'm reminded, though, at the beginning of James, where it says this in verse 2 of James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some translations say patience. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I've got good news. This thing, there's something in your life. I look around the room, there's probably something in every single one of our lives that we wish would just hurry up. Anybody? We just want, like, I'm going through this situation, I just want it to hurry up. And what the scripture is saying, we should be really joyful about that because if we'll just let, if we'll just not hurry up, if we'll just slow our roll a little bit and pull back a little bit, that there's something that will happen in us and we'll grow to the point that we become mature and complete, lacking nothing. So you can be like, well, hello. I'm mature and complete, lacking nothing. How you doing? No, not maybe that. Um, what? What just happened? But it says... Until the coming of the Lord. Be patient till when? Till the coming of the Lord. Has the Lord returned yet? Has the Lord returned yet? So. Flip over to Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Here's what's so cool about the Thessalonians. Um, I totally lost James. Um, First Thessalonians is Paul writing and saying, hey, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. That's like all of First Thessalonians, basically. Second Thessalonians is, he hasn't come yet. Because they kind of got excited. Like, the Lord is coming, then some start freaking out. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. But in First Thessalonians, let's go to chapter I'm going to read a little bit lengthy passage, but I just want you to listen because this is a real thing that we really believe and sometimes we forget it. God will return. Jesus will return. That's a real thing to believe and it should really, it should cause us to pause in some of the choices we're making. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, page 1600, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Lord is coming again. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. I'd encourage you to go through and read chapter 5, 
verses 1 through 11 because it talks about the day of the Lord, the day he returns. It's a real thing and it really will happen. But can I say this, even, even as we talk about the day of the Lord and, and the Lord really will return, can I say this? We're supposed to be patient until the Lord shows up. Can I say whatever situation that you're walking through right now, the Lord's going to show up in that situation too? Like, yes, the Lord will return physically. I don't want to take away that from this scripture. But whatever thing you're walking through, the Lord's going to show up in that situation. And we talked about this last week. It might not look like you think it will look. So be patient until the Lord shows up in your situation. Let's move on to the next verse. It says this, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. And, and I just want to say in this, this region of the country where they lived, they would plant during the rains and they would wait for the second rains to come. And when the second rains had come, that's when they would harvest. So they would plant, it would rain, they'd wait, and it would rain again, and then they'd harvest. What happens if you harvest before it's time to harvest? Like the other day, guys, we were sitting there under that walnut tree, right? And we picked apart those walnuts. What did we find out? Were they ready? They were worthless to us. You know why? It wasn't time. It wasn't time yet. Can I tell you something? The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. No, you guys aren't listening to me right now. Okay, come on. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And, and I want to say in this room, we have a group of so many people. You're not going to find a more screwed up group of people. Who just have had so much grace and mercy poured out on us by God, right? Right? So here we are, we're these, we're these people who are just trying to figure out how to walk through life with all this grace and mercy. And in this room, there's so many of us who have God has told us to wait in certain things and we rushed into it anyway and we made a mess of things and what's crazy is when you tell people to wait like hey it's not time for that yet it can come off as you being or you're just being legalistic and you're just being you're just judging me why are you judging me i'm not listen he's a good father he knows it's not time for dessert yet. He's a good father. He says, yes, this thing might not be bad, but it's not yet. I'll take a really easy example. And this is not being me judgmental. This is truth from the word. Um, God created intimacy, physical intimacy. That's a God idea. That's dessert. And yet, he said it should be done in the confines of marriage. That's God's plan. 
And yet we're like, no. And listen to me, young people. Teenagers. Is dessert good? Dessert's good. But God said it's supposed to happen like this. He's a good father. He knows the way he made it. There's a good way to do it. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The next verse tells us this. It says to establish your hearts. So we're trying to be patient. It tells us to be patient. And in, what are we supposed to do while we're being patient? Establish our hearts. Everyone say establish your hearts. That word establish is to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, to fix. I get this image in my head of, of like you, you want something not to move, so you dig a hole real deep and you drop a post in it, and then you just cover it up to where it's established. It can't move. And during your season of waiting, during your season of, God, you haven't moved yet, what's going on? What he's going to do is he's going to take you, he's going to establish you and make you deeper. In Colossians 2.7, it tells us to be firmly rooted. Like, that's one thing, like, you watch a tree grow, and, and when it's young, you can probably just yank it up. But if you'll just wait and give that tree time, it'll grow to the point well, there ain't no way you're pulling that thing down. There's a tree next to my parents' house. When we moved in when I was in sixth grade, me and my brothers could jump over it. It was tiny. I could have yanked the thing up. Now that thing is taller than this ceiling. I couldn't even get my arms around it because it's established. And so you're in a season of waiting, and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do while I'm being patient, while I'm waiting? And I'll say to you, get established. And don't think that God, I, 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 I wish that God could do this magic sprinkle thing in our heart where we wake up one day and we're like, oh, I'm established. Like I just feel it, I just know it, it's just good. But that's not it. Getting established is, and firmly rooted is something you have to wake up every day and go, okay, I'm going to work on getting more established today. Jesus said it like this, he said, build your house on the rock don't build your house on the sand build it on the rock so you have a firm foundation because then when the troubles of life come and they will come christians will they come they will come and everything starts to move if your foundation's on the rock your house stands but if it's on the sand what happens the song that we used to sing when i was Young was, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And we love to find other things to establish ourselves in. But I'm going to tell you today, unless you're established in this right here, everything is going to fall apart for you. You can't establish yourself in your job. Don't establish yourself in your relationships. You can't establish yourself in anything. Besides this right here. And if you can establish yourself right here, then when things start falling apart around you, you have some place to turn that's unmovable and unshakable. The unshakable word of God. So we get in the word, and then the next part of this says that establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And we've already talked about that. God is coming. It's at hand, and we don't say at hand a lot anymore, right? Like, but at hand means it's like 
Right now my water is at hand. But the thermostat is not at hand. It's way over there. The coming of the Lord is, is near. It's at hand. It's close. And, and we don't, because it didn't happen yesterday and it didn't happen the day before, we think it's sometime a long ways off and it doesn't really matter. But if you go back and read that scripture in Thessalonians, it says when the Lord returns, it'll be like a thief in the night. Um, one night, I was lying in bed, and um, it was my friend David Brockman, some of you guys know him, had visited me, and uh, I was laying in bed, it was like 2 a.m., and all of a sudden there was a on the door, and oh my goodness, like we were up, and we were ready to fight. Dave and I both were at the front door, like this was a loud knock, like someone was trying to bust in. Turns out it was the police, and turns out every door and trunk on David's car was open. And it was a time in Berryville where we had a lot of people going through cars in the middle of the night. What, what it was about that situation that stands out to me is just how unexpected and weird it was. Like, like we were dead asleep, and all of a sudden, you're worried about everything, all of a sudden. And, and that's like, it was so unexpected Right? You have things in your life that have happened that are just sometimes so unexpected, way out of left field. And I'm going to tell you, the scripture says when the Lord returns, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be so unexpected for some people. But then it encourages us to remember that we're not of the night, that we're of the day. And so we should be watching. We shouldn't be sleeping. We should be working on getting established. And so it tells us to not grumble. That, that word, that word in, the, in the Greek means to grumble, to murmur, and we go, oh. I guess we shouldn't do that because of COVID, I don't know. Um, but it, it means to let out a deep sigh in the original language. And this is what's crazy because it says the judge is standing at the door. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble because the judge is standing at the door. He's right outside. You think he's somewhere else, and you're in there running your mouth against your brother or sister, complaining that your situation hasn't worked its way through yet. And the Lord's like, I'm a lot less concerned about the person who's causing your problem to be bad. I'm more concerned about what you are doing in this situation. Did you know, as anxious and as worried as you are about other people around you, the Lord's more worried about you? And whether you're going to serve Him? Whether you're going to let Him be Lord and Master over your life? The judge is standing at the door, and this is what it says. It says, an example of suffering, say suffering, and patience, say patience. That did not sound exciting at all. I mean, you guys sounded like you were suffering as you said it. Suffering. Patience. As an example of suffering, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them blessed um, who remain steadfast say steadfast uh one of my very very favorite scriptures is lamentations chapter three and it says this it says the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness Th 
what I love about this is every morning when I wake up, God's grace and mercy to me is brand new. So all that guilt and shame that you're carrying from yesterday, it's gone. Because his mercies are new every morning. I, I, I get a clean slate. I get a start over. You know what else is great? Is that we're supposed to be like God. And so yesterday, Zach, you know, he really ticked me off. But if the Lord's mercies are new every morning, then shouldn't mine be towards you? So when I walk in the room, it's a clean slate. Is that the way we live? Is that the way we live? It says, the, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good. To those who wait for him. Who do what? They do what? Oh man. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. To remain steadfast. And that's, that's one thing as we move through our lives. Like I think it's funny as. At this point, this church has been here a while and people will come and visit after they've been gone for years, if not decades. And they'll say, you guys are just still doing what you do. Yeah, we're going to remain steadfast. We still have a calling. We still have something that God wants us to do. We're going to remain steadfast. We're not going to quit just because life happens. If I quit every time life happened, um, I would have quit during worship practice today. There's always a reason to quit. There's always a reason to walk away. And if you do that, you're, you're, you're not remaining in what the Scripture is calling us to, to remain steadfast in trial. Behold, we consider them blessed you made steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so this word endure, say endure. It, to endure literally means to remain behind, to wait further back from. So where I really want to be way up there, and I want to fast forward, I want to get to the end, the Lord's telling me to remain behind. It's almost like abiding. It tells us, it says, we have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and, and I mean, you, we can, I don't want to lose my space there. Um, I want to look at Job for just a second. Um, my dad and I were talking the other day, when people start bringing up Job to you a lot, you know things aren't going well in your life. And I'd, I mean, it's no secret, I'd, people have been bringing Job up to me a lot lately. And um, I don't know what all that means. Um, but I want to just read uh, just a few things out of Job. And if you don't know the story of Job, 
Job was a rock star. Job walked with the Lord closely. Job was righteous. In fact, God brags on Job to Satan. He says this, that there is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. He fears God and he turns away from evil. That's me most days. Most moments, not always. And Satan says, yeah, but is it for no reason, God? I mean, you've given him everything. The guy's rich. You have made him rich. And, and God, the reason Job trusts you is because you've blessed him with everything he could ever want. And it was true. He had money, he had property, he had kids. I mean, the guy was blessed. And so God said, okay. Take it away. And so he loses everything. All of his property, his kids die. In fact, if you go read the story, it's like one servant comes in and says, hey, you've lost, your, you've lost all your cattle here. And then as, before he can get done speaking, another servant runs in. Hey, your kids are all done. Another servant runs in. You've lost this, this investment. And over and over, people just keep running in, telling him bad news after bad news after bad news. And, and it, it breaks Job's heart. It crushes him. And this is why he responds. He says, naked I came from my mother's room, womb and naked I shall return. I had nothing the day I was born and it looks like I'm going to have nothing the day I die. And he says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He praises God. And this frustrates Satan to where he actually like, like he goes back to God and God's like, do you see Job? He's still serving me. He's still praising me, even though everything was taken away from him. You were so wrong. And the devil says, yeah, but, but what if we make him sick? What if we attack his body? What then? Then he will curse you. So God says, okay, you can touch his body, you just can't kill him. And so he gets sick. He gets the worst kind of sick. He gets so sick. And his wife says to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So on top of it all, it sounds like he's also having marriage problems. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? This part right here gets me. Because as we fast forward through Job, what's going to happen is Job's friends are going to show up. And when Job's friends show up, they're going to try to start figuring out what Job did wrong that God came against him so bad. And that's what his wife's saying. She was like, you're still going to say you're a person of integrity? Obviously, God hates you, so just curse him and die. Obviously, you've done something wrong that no one knows about, so curse God and die. And Job won't do it. Job trusts God. And so the rest of Job is this big question of, why did God let this happen to Job? 
Why did God let bad things happen to Job? And if you get to the end of Job, if you go home and read it, and when you get done reading it, you say, no, wait, why did God let bad things happen to Job? Then you've read the right book because it never says why. It just says that it did. His friends show up. And, and just to remind you, like, like, what did it say about Job that we just read? Hang on, let's go back. It says this. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So it's bragging on Job and his steadfastness. You want to look at Job's steadfastness? In chapter 3, he wishes he was never born. He's lost everything. He's sick. His friends show up. And then his friends start accusing him of secret sin. Job, you have to have done something wrong. And Job's like, no, I haven't. And, and then Job looks at God and says, God, this isn't fair. God, this isn't fair. Like, God, I never did anything to deserve what's going on in my life. God, I served you. And some of you would be that way about things you're walking through. God, I've, I've served you faithfully. Why isn't my situation changing? Why am I sick? Why is my relationship wrecked? Why don't my kids respect me? God, I've served you the way you've told me to. Why hasn't it changed yet? And if you look, chapter 8, his friend says, you need to repent. And Job's like, I don't know what to repent about. It goes on, and Job pleads that he begs God. He has another friend in, verse, in chapter 11 says, you know, you really deserve worse than this, actually. Those are really great friends. And Job complains, the Lord did this to me. And, and then in chapter 14, he says, I just wish I will die. That's after chapter 13 where he says, I'll still hope in the Lord. And then in chapter 4, he says, but I wish I would just die. And his friend says, you don't fear God. And in chapter 17, Job complains and says, I'm not sure where my hope is anymore. This is a guy who was steadfast. He complains. I says, I don't know where my hope is anymore. His friends say, God only punishes the wicked. Job. I mean, this, this is the whole thing. Then Job comes back and says, you know what? My Redeemer lives. Like, he will get me through this. And then you fast forward a couple more, and he says, but where is God? Does this sound like your life? I mean, for real, I read through Job, and it sounds like Drew. One day I'm like, I've got this, God. You've got me. You've got my back. I know, I know that I'm, what I'm walking through isn't because of anything besides just, God, you want me to walk through it. And the next day, God, where the heck are you? I hurt. I hurt. One day you walk up like, oh, we had a good praise service today or I preached well or whatever. And you're like, okay, it's a great day. And the next day you just don't even want to get out of bed. Anybody else in the room? Ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs until finally God shows up and says, Job, all your friends are wrong. They have, they, and they said some good stuff. You go read it. There's some good things about God that his friends said. But he said, your friends are wrong. It isn't because you're wicked. But it isn't because you're righteous. He, like, he doesn't give him an answer of why he's going through all the bad stuff. 
So Job finally responds like this in chapter 40. He says, Behold, I'm of small amount. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. He's saying, I'm going to shut up now. Because what God does is he shows up and says, Okay, Job, you think you know so much. You think your friends are so smart. Because Job's just, God, why? Why? Why is this happening? And God says, Job, where were you? Where were you when I spoke the world into existence? Where were you when I created the ocean and said you could only go this far? Where were you when I created the beasts and the animals? Do you know how the stars even work, Job? Do you know how the universe is? And it's just sarcastic question after sarcastic question that God is asking Job. And he's just making Job feel this small. And the reality is, what Job realizes through the whole thing is that he just has to trust God to do what God is going to do. And whatever situation you're walking through, it's not necessarily because you did anything right or did anything wrong. God's just asking you to patiently walk through it. And you're going to ask why, and God's going to say, because I want you to trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. Because I'm a good father. And I will give you what you need. And in chapter 42, this is, this is the end of the book. This is what Job's conclusion is. He says, I know, God, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You can't be stopped, God. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. He's being humbled here. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here I will speak, I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I heard, I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He was saying, God, I, I, for years I heard about you, but now I've seen you. And, and that's where we should be. Like to the point where, God, I'm, I'm going through this difficult thing and you're not going to get through it if you only hear about him. Because that's what he's doing with his friends. His friends just kept telling him about God. Well, this is what God's like. This is what God's like. But then Job actually got to see God and it changed him. So he realized, I, I can get through this. Not from any comfort from friends. I, I think it's interesting because... Um, Man, I have some really great friends. I think I have some of the best friends in the whole wide world. Some, many of you in this room. Um, last week I was dealing with a situation, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick up the phone and call one of my friends. I really was originally going to go see them, but I, that fell through. But I picked up my phone, and I called my friend. And they gave me some really good advice, I thought. And I hung up the phone, and I thought, why does it feel like they just told me everything I wanted to hear? And there was just something in it that there was no peace in it. So I picked up my phone, and I called another friend, and I explained to them the same thing. And they said the opposite of the first friend. Now, both of these are men of God that I trust with my whole heart. 
And one of them just kind of told me what I wanted to hear, and the other one challenged me. The first one was like, yeah, you, you do what you want to do, man. Go for it. Go for it. The other friend was like, no. What's that? Even godly people can sometimes give you wrong counsel. How are you going to judge it? Well, it comes back to what I was saying a while ago. What? The word of God. Um, where's Tim? Can you guys come up here? Here's the question. It's do you trust God? Do you trust God to get you to the dessert? Thank you, John. Do you trust God? Because here's the thing. Let, let me be, can I be my friend A for a second yesterday? Not yesterday, earlier this week. I had friend A and friend B. Friend A was like, chocolate cake? Heck yeah chocolate cake hey did you know chocolate cake for breakfast you got your eggs you got your milk there's wheat in there sounds like a good breakfast to me that was friend a this week you go for it drew have the chocolate cake and then there was friend b this week he was like I mean yeah chocolate cake's great but Drew what the are you thinking he didn't say that okay. he didn't say that that's summarizing what he said he was pretty harsh a couple times he's a good friend though right that's a good friend that'll call you out on your crap and judge the intentions of your heart not to be legalistic and beat you over the head but because they love you can I tell you who loves you Jesus everyone say Jesus and guys I'm almost done we're about to baptize and Daniel if you are you going to change clothes now or are you going to change clothes after alright then you're good to go sometimes you just have to walk through hard things Sometimes you just have to walk through hard things. Sometimes you have to eat the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts and the lima beans to get to the chocolate cake. You just got to do it because it's better for you. And I want to say we don't have a God who, who, just, who just says, like, you guys do this, but I'm not going to do this with you. God himself did this. Listen to this. Jesus, it's, it's, it's the night Jesus is going to get arrested. And he goes to pray because he's wrecked. He knows he's about to die on a cross. Which, guys, think about how awful of a death that would be. And he takes his friends with him. And he says, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh 
being greatly distressed and troubled. Sounds just like Job. Sounds just like Drew some days. Is greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. And he didn't just kneel down. He fell on the ground and prayed. This is the God of the universe going through something. And he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. Like if it's possible, can this, can this just not happen? Or, or can we hurry up and fast forward through it? Do I have to be patient? But then he prayed this. And he prayed, remove the cup from him. And then he prayed this. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Guys, I, I, don't, I don't want to make light of any situation in the room because joking around it about it as broccoli and chocolate cake, it's funny. But the reality, you've, some of you are walking through some really hard things. And it hurts. And your heart is wrecked. And you're not sure how you're going to get through it. But let us be like Jesus and pray, not our will, but yours be done. And what's so heavy is he turns around and he finds his best friends are like the friends in Job. They're like my friend this last week, friend A. They, they weren't really there to be there with him. They were sleeping. While he, he said, pray with me. They're just sleeping. They're just trying to do the comfortable thing. They don't realize what he's going through. And you feel alone. You feel like no one else really understands the thing that you're going through. I'm going to tell you, God understands. Just trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Lean into him. Matthew 6.33 tells us to Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to us. But that seeking can take a while. That's the establishing yourself. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. The reality is, is that Jesus, he had to go through that. He had to go through the pain. He had to go through the suffering. And he had to die on the cross. And it was awful. And it was painful. But on, on the other side of that was life and victory and redemption. And so all across this room, we just bow your heads. And I just, first of all, I want to say from one human being to another, and I'm, I'm sorry that it's hard. 
like my heart hurts with you. Maybe I've never gone through what you're going through, but but the thing about hard times is they're hard. But you have a good father, and he knows what the big picture is. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But here's the thing. You have to trust him. You have to lean into him. You have to trust him. Not yourself. You're not going to be able to manipulate this situation. You're not going to be able to work your way out of it. It's never been about your works and what you could do. It's always been about what he could do through you. And so there's a surrender to his will. There's a surrender to be obedient to him. And this morning I would say this. If you're sitting in this room and you are not surrendered to Christ, you say, you know what? I haven't trusted the Lord. I've been, I've been that person who thinks if I'm good enough, God will let me into heaven. This morning, I, I invite you to just trust Him. Because your good works will never get you there. Maybe there's others in this room and you say, oh, I, I know God's grace is good for me. I just trust God's grace. The scripture, we just read it. He's a judge. He's standing at the door. And even though grace is a real thing, Jesus also has to be Lord of your life, master, king. That means you do what he says, not to earn his love, but because you love him. And if your life isn't surrendered to the Lord, then this morning you have an opportunity to surrender your life. Your actions don't save you, but your actions do show whether your life is surrendered or not. So I would ask you this morning, does the fruit of your life, do the actions of your life show that you have surrendered to the king. Let's just take just a minute. I just, just bow your head. I just want you to talk to God. Get real with him for just a moment. Get real with the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.